read. It is John 14, 15 through 19. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you will also live. A joy to be with you guys again this morning, and thank you for those joining us online this morning. Thank you, Alex, for reading. You know, before we get started this morning, uh, I want for us uh, to remember that as we are gathering in a place of peace this morning, we have many brothers and sisters over in Europe that are not in peace this morning, that are actually in war, a war they did not ask for, and they want nothing to be a part of, whether it be on the Ukrainian or the Russian side. No one wants to be part of this thing. And, and so let's just open up the word of prayer for him. I want to pray a prayer that's actually not my own. It was a prayer that was written for actually a, a previous war, but I think the words are just as apt for this morning. So just let us pray for our brothers and sisters. And I say, King of Kings, our war-torn world needs your perfect rule. We ask you, mighty God, to do what we humans cannot achieve and soften hearts that are set on violence, leading them to repentance. We ask you, everlasting Father, to draw near to those who are most vulnerable, May children, the elderly, the bereaved and displaced find comfort in your eternal arms. We thank you, Prince of Peace, that in your kingdom victory is not won through you shedding the blood of your enemies, but by you shedding your blood for your enemies, Jesus. Risen Jesus, we long for your return to make all things new, and we dream of the day when war will be a distant memory when swords will be transformed into plowshares. In your name we pray. Amen. It's hard to, to jump into our own space. We know what's going on. I have many dear friends over there in Ukraine, and uh, it's, uh, there's a lot going on. Please continue to be in prayer for our brothers and sisters. All right. This morning, we start an eight-week series uh, that goes through Easter called God With Us. And we're going to be looking at John chapters 14 through to 17 as Jesus gives his final teaching to the disciples and, and, and his prayer over them before his crucifixion. And we're going to build off the fall series. We looked at the incarnation of Jesus. And if you remember, the Christmas series was actually with the same title of God with us, looking at Jesus coming as a baby to this world. And now we want to look at the next stage of that as we enter into John 14 to 17, where Jesus speaks about him coming with us in the presence of his Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to look specifically at chapter 14 and look at Jesus' call to the disciples to not be troubled, but to trust in him. And to start, I want, I want to begin with a story, and that is a, a number of years ago, I was, for those who don't know me, I was a missionary for most of my life until just a, a year or so ago when we moved here to the States, but a number of years ago I was serving in, or we were in Uganda, working with the, ref, the Sudanese refugees in northern Uganda. And the Sudanese refugees were there because, at the time, one of the world's worst horrific warlords named Joseph Kony of the Lord's Resistance Army was just devastating southern Sudan and northern Uganda. And, and so much of the population of southern Sudan had to flee and become refugees in northern Uganda at the time. And as I was working with those pastors, uh, they were telling me the greatest need they had, even more than food, is they're desperate. They wanted a study Bible, a Bible that actually had more than just the Word, but actually to learn because they had no access to training. There were hundreds and hundreds of pastors with no access to training. And so I looked into it, and I found I could get study 
Bibles just across the border in Sudan where the war was going on, and there was a place that was printing them there. And so I, with part of my team, we went across to, to Sudan to go, to go look for these Bibles and, and do some other work while we were there. And when we were there, uh, we were staying at this compound that was miles from the main town. And in fact, they're saying in order for us to leave the compound, we had to have trucks of soldiers guarding us going the whole way. And so I needed to go out and change my money to get into the local currency to buy these Bibles. And so I made my way to town. And it was a crazy time because along the road, the soldiers, so many of them were actually just teenagers. And it was, it was even crazier because these teenagers, just young kids, and they would have their old worn AK-47s, but the, the AK-47s were covered in like cute, like, um, like footballer superstar stickers. Kind of like a kid's like notebook in high school or junior high with just stickers plastered all over it. They would have these, oh, sorry, Americans, uh, soccer, uh, like, Leon, like Lionel, uh, or sorry, like Michael Messi or, or Cristiano Ronaldo. These stickers would just be plastered all over their AK-47s you see it as you're going down the road. And so, anyways, I finally got to town, and I was looking for this bank, and I was a foolish idiot, and I went by myself and didn't obey what they were telling us to do. And I found the bank, and the bank wasn't what you would think. It was an open-air bank that was actually outside with just some some, uh, bamboo kind of wall things on the sides of it. And I went in to go change my money, and I was scared to death because I had to change my money, but there was no privacy, right? There's people just lingering everywhere around this bank. So I go to the teller and start peeling off my $100 bills, and as I'm doing it, the people are leaning over my shoulders, counting the money with me, right? These crowds of people. And then what got worse is, it was about a thousand dollars can't remember exactly how much it, i got a giant stack of local currency that came back to me right and there it is creating a, a, a commotion all around me as people are watching it they're counting the bills and i just like trying to stuff this in my pockets and and meanwhile all these people are watching me and they're pointing and they're whispering and i'm just starting to freak out because this is kind of it's on the verge of a war zone of what was going on at that time and i'm like this is stupid what the heck am i doing and so I thought, okay, I'm going to run to the market because there was the open-air market there. And I'm like, I'll try to blend in. But, of course, I get there and I'm like, you idiot. I'm the only white guy in for miles. Like, this is, there's no blending in going on right now. These are all really tall Sudanese guys. This is, I do not blend in. And eventually I'm just saying, okay, Lord, you got to protect me because i got miles of a walk home. And I'm just like, okay, I guess I'm going home. And as I began to walk home, I was more than a little troubled, right? I was literally, I mean, I remember I stuck my passport. I put it under my ball cap in my head because I fully expect to get mugged or get shot. Like, I just, I didn't think there was any chance I was making my way home with this because this is years of salary for the average person and there's just there's no security in this place and i remember every step walking every sound i heard i'm like okay here it comes here it comes just kind of expecting i just kept walking and eventually i got home or got to the compound and and i'm just terrified as can be just like no settling in my heart at all that ended up actually being amazing because eventually we were able to buy all these Bibles and we went back and to take them into to Uganda and at the border, the soldiers, at the, the Ugandan soldiers at the border told me I couldn't take them in because I didn't have the import papers or whatever and they were wanting a bribe and thought I couldn't bribe them. So eventually I'm just like, what about a Bible? So you want some Bibles? I can... So I bribed them with a bunch of Bibles. And they let me bring all the other Bibles across. We were to spread amongst all the refugee pastors. It was awesome. But in that process... I was more than a little troubled, to say the least, right? It was, my heart was, was beyond anxious in that. And that's what I'm going to look at this morning in John 14, is Jesus' call for them to not be troubled. But before we jump there, I actually want to, to start with a little bit of background before we jump into John chapter 14. And that's, before we get to 14 to 17, the, before that, it's John chapter 13, right? Not, not, not hard to figure out. And in John chapter 13, it's the story of Jesus washing disciples' feet, at, and then the Last Supper is there. But then immediately following that is where Jesus tells the disciples that he will be betrayed and he'll be killed as a result of it, right? That he is leaving them and he's about to die. And after he tells them that, you know, Peter says, never, this will never happen. And he says, no, Peter, even you, his most passionate disciple, Jesus says, you're in fact going to deny me three times tonight, just this evening in the next few hours. And that is the lead up to chapter 14 as we jump in. 
And so to set the scene, imagine how the disciples are feeling as we enter into John chapter 14, right? The leader that they have followed their entire life, given their lives to, has just told them that he is going to die very soon and that they can't come with him. And that he's going to, and even their, their, one of the most passionate disciple won't even be able to hold on to him. And they are confused, they're angry, they're freaking out. Troubled would not begin to describe how they're feeling at this point. Right? I mean, they have left everything for Jesus. I mean, think of Levi, the tax collector. He left his tax collecting job. He gave away most of his money as a result of it. And now Jesus is saying he's leaving and it's all over. And to top it all off, Jesus hasn't even destroyed Rome yet, which was the whole reason they were following him to begin with. And so coming into this, Jesus just laying this bomb on them, saying, it's over, I'm done, it's, I'm, I'm going to go back to be with my father. They are discombobulated, they are freaking out, they are troubled beyond belief. And so the next four chapters, Jesus is going to lay out for them that they don't need to be troubled, and why? And that's what we're going to look at today as he jumps into this. And so let's look at Jesus' response in John chapter 14, verse 1. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. Again, they're in anguish, and Jesus commands them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be anxious. I mean, they'd be thinking, yeah, right, right? (laughs) You just told us you're going to be killed, and that we're not even going to be able to follow you, and you're leaving us. You mean don't be worried? I think if there's any time to freak out, now would be a good time to do that, right? Just don't be troubled isn't really a good answer. I mean, could you imagine me saying as I'm walking back on that dusty road with all that money just stuffed in my pockets, and just tell me, someone tell me, oh, James, don't be troubled. Like, that's not going to go very far. Someone whose, whose loved one is about to die of cancer or, or someone who can't pay their bills that week, just tell them, oh, don't be troubled. I mean, is that, that's not going to go so far for someone that's in that position. But Jesus doesn't just stop there. He says, do not be troubled. Trust in me and trust in the Father. And obviously, this is the answer. It's the big picture. They recognize that, that God is in charge and he's with them. And they need to have faith that God is there with them. And you know, as, as I was prepping this week, I... I one of my things is when I, when I prep, I believe as, as a teacher, as a, as a preacher of the word, I have to let messages go through me before I ever share them. And so I was spending this time this last week, early this last week, and just really praying and saying, okay, Lord, where am I troubled, right? Because I have this fundamental belief that it's not okay for me to get up and say, you know, 20 years ago I struggled with pornography, but now I'm great, right? I, I need to have something recent of where am I recently wrestling with God? And, and I'm going to share with you what the Lord showed me in my heart. And, it, and some of it's a little embarrassing because my own weakness, but it's just where I'm at. And, and the Lord, as I prayed, I said, Lord, where am I troubled right now? Just like, what are the things that my mind continue to run away with? And there were four main areas that, as I was praying, the Lord kind of revealed to me that's going on in my heart that I need to trust in Him more. And, and the first one, if you know any of my story recently, is, is definitely it's watching my father and, and his, 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 his battle with, with pancreatic cancer just continue to, to get worse. And, and, and this one, I'll be honest, just sucks. I've never had trouble in my life like this one. Right? My, my father is, is my closest friend next to my wife. And a big part of us even moving to America a couple years ago was to spend time with family, specifically with my dad. The dream, my father used to be a pastor. We, we were gonna, we've always dreamed that one day we'd do ministry together. And, and finally, after 25 years of ministry overseas, I was going to come back and he'd be up here preaching. He's an incredible wor- piano player and worship leader. And he'd be a counselor. He's an amazing counselor. The dream was we, we'd be able to regularly go on long motorcycle trips together. And, and he'd teach my kids how to weld and how to fix literally anything. And I was so stoked about that, and to watch his health just decline week after week has been beyond agonizing and troubling to my spirit beyond no end. And watching my mom deal with so much of this reality, oh, this one hurts. And I'll I'll be honest, that's one of the top things that I am troubled with at the moment where my anxieties run. Number two would be, uh, this may sound a little little more uh, 
Simple, but it's been watching housing prices rise and skyrocket the last couple years. We came and didn't buy a house when we first arrived. So like, that would be foolish. Let's just figure out the lay of the land. And what a dumb decision that seems to be, right? And every time I open up with Zillow, my heart just kind of skips a beat as I realize, oh my goodness. I have a finance degree. I'm a futurist. I'm a planner. And I just can't see any possibility of how we're ever going to own a home in this market and be able to have it paid off before we retire. I'm just like, Lord, I realize that, that's, that's weighing on my heart. Another, my, my third thing that the Lord was really showing me was my, my, my desire for my boys, my boys, I have a four, a six, and a nine-year-old boy, for them to know Jesus in a way that is rooted so deeply that they'll never let go. You know, I have so many friends, and I know many of you here, who are better parents than I will ever hope to be. And yet, even with all the best efforts they've taken, their kids still, as they've gotten older, have, have walked away from the Lord. And that just breaks my heart. And I pray so fervently, so frequently to the Lord, Lord, capture their hearts. Do not let them walk away. May it not be my faith, but their faith, right? That'd be number three. And number four is the one that's actually the most consistently, the one that keeps me awake at night the most. And that's the one that is just, Lord, how do we reach those who don't know you here in Bothell and Everett and Mill Creek? There's so many that don't know you, Lord, and I don't know the right strategy. I don't know the right way. And so many sleepless nights, I'm up at two or three in the morning just praying and just saying, God, show us what it means to reach our community around us. And for me, these are the things right now that are, are, as I'm just praying, are just constantly going through my head to different places. And if I'm not healthy and not turned to the Lord, they can kind of go crazy for me. And so Jesus' response right here is so beautiful for the disciples because he says, trust in the Lord, trust also in me or my Father. But verse 2, he's going to start giving the answer to that, that it's not just some big generic answer, but here's his response in verse 2. He says, my Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be with me where I am. So Jesus explains to the disciples that they don't need to be anxious, they don't need to be afraid. Why? Because he's prepared an eternal home for them, right? That when they die, they don't have to worry because they're going to be with God. And Jesus' answer is not that they don't need to worry about death, they're definitely going to die. In fact, except for John, they're all going to die horrifically within 30 years of Jesus' death. You know, last week I was at a, uh, a pastor's gathering. We were meeting here of a bunch of pastors from the area that gather together once a month. And, and one of the pastors there was sharing a story about how he has a tumor that was getting removed. And people are kind of like, oh, no. And he's like, and then he really says, don't worry, I'm not going to die. And I loved it. So there was a very quick-witted pastor in the room who immediately responded without even thinking. And he says, you're wrong, you're dying. We're all going to die, right? That was a great response to a guy that was giving that, right? Um, it, 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 well, well, funny, but it's true, right? Because we're all dying. So it is, it is true that we all need that message that there is an eternal hope. And Jesus' point to them is that eternally, that there is a home that I am creating for you when you die, right? That there is incredible comfort to know that we have this eternal perspective, this eternal hope that we can point to when we die, knowing that Christ has created that home for us. But in the moment, when we're right in the thick of things and, and we're living this life, maybe that hope doesn't always feel so hopeful for many of us that aren't planning on dying just yet. Right? Because to steal a quote from the legendary theologian Monty Python in his search for the Holy Grail, I'm not dead yet, right? So, I mean, we're not dead yet. And if we're not yet dead, we kind of look at that and we say, well, that's great to know eternally that that's there. But how does that help? How does that knowledge help with my anxiousness right now with providing a home for my family or my father who's, who's passing or my kids who I'm, I'm, I'm so concerned about their relationship with the Lord? I mean, it's great when I was walking down that road in Sudan. That is a wonderful, comforting thought. 
to knowing that whatever happens, Lord, I'm in your hands. Right? Or for someone whose, whose family member is right at the end of a long battle of cancer, that is an incredible comfort, knowing that, Lord, I am going from in your hands to in your hands for eternity. But for those of us who think that hope that that's still a little far off, just having the hope of eternal life, while great, doesn't necessarily help with the present circumstances. And Jesus recognizes that. And so he doesn't stop there with his disciples. He's going to continue. In fact, he's going to show three separate ways that he's going to present himself among his disciples. First of all, the one he's already given, that eternally he will dwell with them and have a home with them. And the second one he's going to show in verse 20 is he's going to show that when he returns, because he's going to return after the crucifixion, he's going to be with them presently again then. But then the third one is the one I want to spend time looking at this morning and really over the next few weeks as he's going to talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And for that, let's jump into verse 15. Jesus says, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Here, Jesus begins an extended teaching on the coming of the Holy Spirit, again, that lasts for many chapters here. But notice that he begins this, and he's going to say it multiple times later on. He begins this teaching on the Holy Spirit by saying, If you love me, obey my commandments. We can't overlook this. We're going to talk a lot more about that in a few weeks. But this is a repeated emphasis constantly in this section of the passages where Jesus is prefacing everything by saying, if you love me, you will obey me. It's central to John's argument. We can't forget it as we look at the coming of the Holy Spirit. But again, in verse 16, he says that, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will not leave you. Jesus says he's going to give them his Holy Spirit. And here, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as another advocate. Now, depending on your translation, your Bible may say another counselor or another helper or another comforter, right? Or another advocate. It just depends on what translation you use. Because the problem is there's no really good translation for that Greek word. In fact, many biblical scholars would just not even use any of those words because none of the, nothing in the English language exists that really explains it. And they just stick with paraclete, which is the Greek word for that. But the, the Greek word there actually means to come alongside, right? It's, it comes out of Greek legal terminology for like an advocate in a court of law that would come alongside someone and speak for them and before them and assist them and before them in that process and fight for them. That's, that's the meaning of that Greek word. And that's why advocate is, is one of the better translations, but still does, isn't suffice. But another really cool thing here, and I want to point out, and that's that Jesus doesn't just describe him as the, as the, the advocate. He calls him another advocate or a comforter, or a helper. Why would he call him another advocate? Because who is the first advocate that Jesus is speaking about? Well, it's him. Jesus is the first advocate, right? Jesus is saying that he is the first comforter, the first advocate, and he's sending another advocate that's just like him. And this is so cool because Jesus is very specific in his language here. Now, I'm sorry for getting my Bible nerd on here. I want to jump into the Greek just a little bit. I'm not going to do this often. I don't want to try and like, impress people with Greek or whatnot. It's not that, that cool. But anytime it opens up the text, I do think it's worthwhile. And I just want to jump in for a little bit here. And here there's something really cool here in the language about the Greek word for advocate. And that is that there's two specific words that can be used for this, or sorry, for another in the text. And that's the Greek word for allos. And there's another one called heteros. Allos means another of the same kind, right? So exactly the same as the first. Whereas heteros is another of a different kind. And that one's used over a hundred times in the New Testament. Now, I'm going to steal from Dr. Kent Hughes here, if I was an illustration. But imagine if I'm eating a honey crisp apple, right? 
And as I'm eating this apple, you ask if I have another one. And in the process, I offer you a Fuji apple. Now, in so doing, I have just offered you a heteros apple, right? This is a similar apple, but different, right? It's a different kind than this one, right? Because I, I'm eating a Honeycrisp, and I'm offering you a heteros or a, a Fuji apple that is different. It's similar, but different. Now, the language Jesus says here, if, I, if you ask, for, if I'm eating a Honeycrisp, and I offer you the exact same kind of the exact same as this one, that would be offering you an alos in that sense, right? It's the same, exactly the same kind as what I have. And this is where it gets so cool. Because guess which word Jesus is using here in this situation? Jesus is saying that he and the Holy Spirit, this another advocate, is the exact same kind. He uses the word alos. It's the exact same kind as himself. So what Jesus is saying is that the Spirit duplicates and sustains the ministry of Jesus. Right? That by Jesus leaving, they are not losing anything in the exchange. There's no losing anything in his departure. Because in fact, he's going to say it's better for them. We'll get to that in chapter 16 in a couple weeks. Jesus is comforting his disciples who are scared to death to lose Jesus. And he's telling them they can trust in him. They can trust in God. Why? Because his helper, his advocate, his counselor, who is no different than him, is with them. And they don't lose anything in this exchange between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Romans chapters 8, verse 9, Paul says it abundantly clear. And he says, you are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. Notice that what He calls the Holy Spirit there. It's not just the Spirit. He calls it the Spirit of Christ. Right? Those with the Holy Spirit, they have the Spirit of Christ with them. So Jesus is telling the disciples, the Holy Spirit is my very presence, and it's with you. They won't lose out on anything in this exchange of Jesus standing next to them and the Holy Spirit dwelling with them. Jesus is saying that his work doesn't stop when he leaves the earth, but it just keeps going through his working Holy Spirit in their lives. His Holy Spirit will continue his work and sustain all of what Jesus began through the disciples when Jesus leaves. And he says they don't, all they have to do is ask him and he will do it. And he says that a bunch of times in the following chapters. And then in chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus makes it abundantly clear why they don't need to be troubled. I mean, he's already told them that he'll dwell with them eternally. He's told them he's returning after the crucifixion. And look at what he says in 23. He says, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Right? So notice again that the promise of the Spirit begins with the same expectation, first of all, of those, that those who love God obey Him. Notice the same preface there, right? That's the expectation. It cannot be removed from the coming of the Spirit and the work is, the, is this obedience to Christ. But then he says, my Father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. The Father and the Son will come and dwell within each of those who are his followers. Not just come alongside, but make their home to dwell with them. Now, where did we read this before about God dwelling and making his home with the disciples? Remember, it was back in John 14 too. Let's look at that one again. It said, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go before you'd prepare a place? Jesus said they don't need to be troubled because he will make his home with them for all of eternity when they get to heaven, right? And that's awesome. 
But one more time, one last time today, I want to get my Bible nerd on, and let's jump in here because this is so cool what he's doing here. So in 14.2, Jesus says that in his Father's house are many rooms, right? He uses that word room. Now, if you grew up in the King James Bible as being your Bible, you would have heard that translated as mansions, right? That's, if you heard, in my Father's house are many mansions, and that's really an unfortunate translation. It comes because at the time when King James was written, the word mansions just meant dwelling. And in the Latin Vulgate, which was the, trans, the Latin translation at that time, it translated this word for dwelling as mansiones in Latin, which eventually got translated to mansions. And so that's where we get this unfortunate translation today where there's so many people go around saying, I'll get mansions in heaven, right? But I'm telling you, the disciples were not excited about getting some fancy house in the sky right? Nowhere in scripture, I'm sorry to say, does it say anything about us getting mansions in heaven. That is not in scripture. No matter how many songs or hymns we sing about it, it's not found in scripture, right? It's not there. And because that's not the point Jesus is making. He's not excited about them finding out they're going to get a big mansion or some other stuff in the sky. What he's telling them is, what do they get? Jesus. They get him. He is the prize. He is the reward. Not all this other stuff that they're looking at. And sadly today, so often, that is the thing the church focuses, all the shiny stuff we think we get in the mansions and all the other things, and we forget that what Jesus is offering us isn't all this stuff. He's offering us himself. And so Jesus tells them that for eternity he will dwell with them in 14.2. And again, that room for mansions that is this translated in King James, it just, it's a dwelling place. And it's a unique Greek word that's only used two times in all of Scripture. Only two times is it ever found anywhere in Scripture. And it's the Greek word is called mone. And it means to abide or to dwell. And the first usage is here is in 14.2. But guess where the second usage of this term is? Only other place in Scripture God uses this word to abide and dwell. Is the rooms there in 14.2 referring to eternity? And in verse 23. So let's jump to verse 23. And this is so cool. He says in verse 23. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Right? Right there where he says that we will come and make our home with each of them, he uses the exact same word. And that's no accident. Jesus does this on purpose. He's intentionally telling them that that he is saying that it's not just when they die that they will dwell with Jesus. But when the Spirit comes, that exact same dwelling happens here and now, not just then and there. Jesus and the Father will dwell with them in the same way that He will for eternity, He says, when the Spirit comes. He will make their home with them here on earth. The Father and the Son will abide with them through the Holy Spirit in the same way that He will for eternity. The disciples don't have to wait to die to experience Jesus' nearness. They don't have to wait for eternity to dwell intimately with Jesus. But when the Spirit comes, they can dwell with Him in intimacy and beauty when the Spirit comes because He makes His home then right with them. They don't need to fear His departure. They don't need to fear persecution to come. They don't need to fear any of that because He will be as close to them as He will as an eternity when His Spirit comes here and now. The disciples' greatest longing was to have Jesus come and be with them to have fellowship with him. And that's why Jesus tells them not to be afraid. It's why he tells them that they can trust him because it's not about mansions in heaven. It's about being with Jesus. And so in 14.23, he explains that they do not have to wait until they die to experience that because Jesus came to dwell with them here and now through his spirit and his fellowship. The fellowship they long for will actually increase when Jesus leaves physically and brings his spirit, not decrease. We're going to look at this much more next week when we jump into the first half of chapter 15 and, and abiding in Christ. 
But therefore, the disciples don't need to be troubled because Jesus is coming back at the resurrection. Yes, he's going to dwell with them for eternity. Yes, but while they remain here on earth, he's going to dwell with them. They don't have to wait for heaven. And in in this rest of chapter 14, he's going to give so many examples, the things the Spirit's going to do through their lives while they're here. And you don't have to write all these down. I'm going to put them in a list. You just go to our website under sermon discussions. All the slide notes are there, so you don't have to try and fly through it. They might not be there today because Margaret, I think, is out of the office on Friday, so it might be up there on Monday morning when she gets in, but um, they'll be up there soon with the discussion questions as well. But in John chapter 14, here's things that it says the Spirit's going to do in John chapter 14. First, it says he's going to come alongside them as an advocate in verse 16. Right? He's going to come along and build them up and encourage them. It says that Jesus and the Father will dwell with them through the Holy Spirit in verse 23. It says the Spirit will enable believers to do miraculous works just like Jesus. Why? Because His Spirit is now with them. So they're going to continue to do the stuff Jesus did because it's not them doing it, it's Jesus doing it through Him. Same Spirit, and Jesus is going to do the work through them. It says then the Spirit will bring in the Spirit of truth in 17. It says the Spirit will bring comfort in verse 18 whenever they are alone or in pain. It says in verse 26 that He will teach them all things. In verse 26 also it says He will remind them of all the things Jesus said and did. You see, the Spirit doesn't just give new crazy revelations, but the Spirit brings understanding to all that Jesus did and said. In verse 27 it says that He will bring God's peace And this is just chapter 14. We're going to get much more into 15, 16, and 17 as well. And so we see that at no point does Jesus stop working in this process when he leaves. This is Jesus' view, and it's his encouragement to disciples that are terrified that he's leaving, that he just continues his work on earth through dwelling with his children. Jesus doesn't miss a beat. He just picks up where he left off and keeps on working through through the disciples and through his people. In fact, he says he's going to do even greater things through them when he leaves. Not less. It's going to get better is what Jesus says. I mean, look at verse 12. He says it explicitly. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me, notice anyone, not just the disciples, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. How amazing is that? Because Jesus now dwells in all believers, he's going to do even greater things in his departure than when he was physically there. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to like, do greater miracles than raising the dead or walking on water or defeating Satan, defeating Satan, right? We don't go around trying to like, out-Jesus Jesus and performing like, crazier things than he did. But the point is that Jesus, when he was on earth, he, had to conf- he was restrained by being in an hu- in, 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 in incarnate to human form, and he was in one place at one time, but now the restraints are off. He is now indwelling at the life of every believer at all times. He can be in all places. And now he can enable believers, every believer, no matter where they are. They don't have to stand in line to reach them and like the disappointed people who had to leave without ever coming to Jesus. And said all believers across the world simultaneously can experience fellowship with Jesus the way he intended it to be. They can gain freedom from sin. They, they can share him boldly. They can see him perform miraculous works through them and, and healing and delivering and restoring They can now allow them to radically love one another and to walk in obedience to Jesus all because Jesus is now with the Father and dwelling with us in the Holy Spirit. So the disciples, therefore, don't need to be troubled because Jesus is not going anywhere. In fact, he's moving closer, not further away. So what about us today? Is it any different for us? Well, no. 
what he says of the disciples is true of us today. The Holy Spirit still duplicates and sustains the work of Jesus today. The Spirit of Christ makes all of Jesus available to us today. God with us to do the work of Jesus today. He's made his home with us, whether we acknowledge him or not. And we do not need to be troubled. Why? Because Jesus is not out in the cosmos somewhere in some distant place trying to hear our prayers over the noise of all the others, but He is right here closer than we could ever imagine. You know, I remember one time when one of my boys got lost in a crowd and we were looking for him and finally we found him when we did. I mean, he was terrified, just sheer terror and crying and crying and crying. But we finally found him, we hugged him, he just grabs a hold of our leg and, and holds on to us and all of a sudden he just calmed down. Why? Because he knew he was safe in our arms. He knew he didn't have to be afraid because he found us and he was with us. And it's no different for us with Jesus. Jesus says in verse 18, he says, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus is with us. I love it. The biblical scholar, uh, Dr. Gary Burge, he puts it this way. He says, the, the Christian experience of the Holy Spirit cannot be viewed apart from the experience of Jesus. To experience the Spirit is to experience Jesus. Right? This is the gift we, God has given us. We do not have to be afraid because Jesus is with us. And just like my son was freaking out when he was lost before he saw me, we don't need to freak out with Jesus because he's right here. The creator of the cosmos is with us. I mean, could you imagine if in the midst of whatever it is, the stress or the trouble, whatever anxiety is running wild over bills to pay or the loss of a loved one or a child walking away from the faith, that Jesus came physically and just sat down right next to you in the chair, held your hands, looks you in the eye and says, it's going to be okay, I'm right here with you. It would change everything. To have him just stand, sitting next to us, holding our hands. Like Peter, when he falls down outside of the boat, when the storm is there, and Jesus reaches out and grabs him and holds on to him, everything becomes clear when Jesus holds his hands. And Jesus' whole point in this passage is, I'm right here with you. You don't need to be afraid. I'm right here with you. I'm closer than if I was holding your hands and looking you in the eye. Because now I no longer come aside, I dwell within you through my Holy Spirit. Jesus, our comforter, our counselor, our advocate, our helper, is right here, right now with us through His Spirit. And in fact, He says, He wraps up the chapter in verse 27, He says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. Jesus finishes the chapter the same way he starts it, saying, you don't need to be troubled or afraid. I give you my peace. And by that he's saying, I give you myself. I'm not just giving you a feeling of peace, but I am coming to dwell with you. The Prince of Peace is going to dwell within us. He offers us himself, the Prince of Peace, not just a temporary feeling. He says, I don't give like the world gives and take it away, but I'm offering you myself. All of me is with you. Jesus is with us today. And the Holy Spirit makes all of Jesus available to us today. And the Holy Spirit is real and active and present. You know, the, the, the renowned statistician, Dr. George Barna, he did a study where he runs a, a study through Arizona Christian University and the Cultural Research Center. 
And, and last year, they did this huge study. It was the second annual one of its kind, but the largest one done like this. And had some crazy results that I just want to highlight here. And I'd recommend, honestly, downloading the slides. Go to Sermon Discussions, download the slides. And the link to this is there. You should read it. It's fascinating what just the results that came out last week describing the church. But in that study, it said for those who self-identified as born-again Christians, it says that 62% contend that the Holy Spirit is not a real living being, but is merely a symbol of God's power, presence, or purity. Almost two-thirds of Christians who self-identify as born-again believers believe the Holy Spirit isn't real, it's just a concept, it's just a symbol. In fact, they even drilled down and they narrowed it down to a group of people they called theologically born again, where people that didn't just say they were born again, they said that Jesus is the only way to heaven and that they've been forgiven of their sins through confession of sin and repentance and they are Christians and they're going to heaven because of him. They took that subset, asked the same question, and you would think it'd be radically different. It was 50%. Believe the Holy Spirit isn't real. It's just an idea. I grieve over this. To be a follower of Jesus and not recognize that the Holy Spirit is with us right here and right now, making all of Jesus available to in this moment is a tragedy of the most epic proportions. And it's a tragedy that one of, one of every two believers, 50% at least of all believers in America, are living that tragedy every day. And to me, it would be kind of like if you had a family with kids from overseas that like won a trip to, to go to Disneyland, all, expade, all expense paid trip with their kids to go to Disney World in Orlando for a week and they flow, fly over and they're so excited they get their hotel room and because they don't have a clue what's going on, they never leave their hotel room. They just watch TV and they eat stale crackers from what they brought with them on the plane over for a whole week, just bored and wasting their time because no one ever explained that. They had no understanding of all the wonder, the adventure, and the joys, and the meals, and all the excitement that was had outside of that room. They spend the whole week just sitting in that room miserable. I mean, that's kind of what it's like if you don't recognize who the Holy Spirit is. You may have an eternal hope, and that's great, but Jesus says in, 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 in his the prayer, when they ask him how to pray, he says, our Father is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that we should be experiencing that reality here and now. He calls us to a life of abundance in him through his Holy Spirit. And without the Spirit, we're missing out on Jesus. And I honestly think that so much of the Christian world is living out that reality. Not realizing that he's right here with us. Offering a, a life of abundance in him that we are not alone. He is right here. And when I think about my own anxieties, as I shared before, and when I focus on them, you know, my brain can just begin to run with that kind of stuff. When, in unhealthy ways, I think about my father and his health or my boys or, 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 or home ownership or reaching the lost. But when I remember that Jesus is right here, closer than if he was standing next to me and holding my hands and looking me in the eyes, I can turn to him to say, Jesus, show me how to trust you with my father. Show me how to trust you with my boys. That their faith is something that takes off everlasting Father. Capture their hearts in ways that they will never reject you, Jesus. Jesus is right here, right now. And when I pray, I'm not praying to a distant God who is far away. But a God who is Monet, who dwells with us. He's right here. He has made his home right here. I don't need to get breakthrough to reach him. I talk about Christians all the time. We need breakthrough. I don't need breakthrough. Why? Because there's nothing to break through. 
He's right here. He's not some distant place where I need to try and find him out there. He's right here. Maybe if I'm living a life of sin and I'm kind of like vomiting all over myself spiritually, maybe I need to wipe off the vomit, repent, kind of wipe the vomit off and open my eyes and remember, oh, you were here all along. When I start freaking out and going a tailspin of anxiety and trouble and all the rest, and I allow my emotions to control the whole thing, and I forget he exists. I don't need any breakthrough. I just need to open my eyes and say, oh, I'm sitting in your lap. You're right here, Jesus. Help me to see the reality of your presence is right here with me, and I can trust you. Jesus says he'll never leave us. In fact, his last words to the disciples in Matthew 28, that great commission, says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. The great commission, many of us have probably heard that. But notice the final words of the book. It says this, and be sure of this, Jesus says to them, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. And Jesus is with us right now, and he is for us, and he's never going to leave us. It's a beautiful song I've been listening to on repeat a bunch of times this week by Red Rock's worship called Never Leave. Write that down. Put it in your car. Blast it. Have some time if you want, and just blast it about God. He is with us. He never leaves, and he is for us. Red Rock's, Red Rock's worship is called Never Leave. So beautiful. Jesus is with us when we're actively pursuing him. He's with us when we're ignoring him, right? He is with us regardless of our posture. He's with us when we're aware of his presence, and he's with us when we haven't felt his presence in months or even years. So therefore, what's troubling you right now? It may not be being attacked, it may not be being attacked by a kid with like a cute sticker-covered AK-47, right? And that's probably good. But it could be the loss of a loved one. It could be war. And rumors of war and geopolitics. It could be a health crisis or pain chronically that won't go away. It could be children who don't know Jesus or, or financial burdens that you're struggling with. It could be decisions of what next, of where to move, of should I stay in this crazy area under Inslee and all the rest of it. It could be, should I, uh, what school should I go to? What job should I take? Or it could be a marriage that feels hopeless. And every effort we've made, it just seems to not work and we're just discouraged. And all of our efforts bear no fruit. But know this, we're not alone. God is with us. Not at a distance, but he's right here, right now. Closer than he was when he was on earth. He's right here. And he made his home with us, and he will never leave us. And he gives us his peace. So let us trust him this morning. Let us not leave here without turning our attention back to him. And let's take a moment to recognize that Jesus is in our midst and we can trust him this morning right now. Not in some ethereal, hyper-spiritual states or sense that he's way out there, but he is right here this morning. And we can trust him as much as we could if he was physically sitting with us, holding our hands and looking us in the eye. So I want us to take a moment this morning just to pray. And to ask the Lord to reveal to us what's troubling us right now. I'm going to take a moment to pray, and I'm just going to sit in silence, and I want you, as the Lord speaks and as he reveals the trouble, just confess that to him and say, Lord, help me to trust you. Help me to not lose sight of who you are, and that you are right here with me, and that you got this. And may ask for his peace that surpasses all understanding to come upon us. So Jesus, we just come to you right now, Lord. And Father, I just ask right now, may you reveal to us, into our hearts and 
to show us the areas that we are troubled right now, Lord Jesus. Speak to us today, Holy Spirit. Just sit for a little bit in silence. Just let the Spirit speak. And as you're aware of those troubles or anxieties, I encourage you just to pray out to the Lord and say, Lord, help me see that you are right here with me. Help me to trust you. I want to hand these things to you, Lord Jesus. Jesus, help us to trust you. Oh, Lord, I want to trust you more. So often my thoughts just, they go running. And I lay awake in all sorts of different places, Lord. Help me to see how near you are, Lord. Help me to not lose sight of the reality of your nearness with us, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, direct our hearts to you. Lord, I I commit my Father again to you this morning as I pray. And I know that you are with us. I commit my kids, our housing situation. I commit the loss to this area and what you want to do, Lord. And I hold on to you, Lord Jesus. Father, help us to grow in trusting you. this is something you're, you're wrestling with as you pray I pray with a friend or even I'll come down while some people are available to pray you can come along the sides and the people that can pray with you this morning but I also just want to say if, if you're someone who doesn't yet know Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit's moving in your heart this morning I want to encourage you talk to a friend or come over and speak to us if it's time the Lord's just moving it's time to give yourself to the Lord or even if you've been a Christian for years and it's been a long time since you've been following again, recommit this morning, come forward, and get recommit your life to the Lord. Don't pass this chance of the Spirit speaking to your heart. Jesus is with us, and He's speaking this morning. If you're online, send us a message to our group, and someone will reach out to you. But don't miss this opportunity. Feel free to come forward and pray or worship or get on your knees, whatever it is, but let's put our focus back on Jesus and trust in Him right now. Thank you, Jesus.